0: I actually, um, I was up last night until about 2am in the morning. Um, not by choice. I would love to have been asleep. Um, but I was up and the, you know, when you, when you hear God talk and he's, and he's sharing stuff with you and you're spending time with God and it's just something that like you can't shake, you can't drop it, you, and you, you just have to sit in that moment. Um, so I was, I was having one of those moments last night. Um, and I wrote down some notes, um, and I just I want to I want to read them to you before um, I, I get into sharing. Um, Life right now is becoming increasingly more difficult. There are many external pressures, systems, and traditions that dictate what happens in our day-to-day lives. We at this very moment find ourselves in the middle of a situation unlike anything that I've ever experienced before. The world around us is shifting. And changing faster than we can blink. Everyone around us has gone into survival mode. There is desperation and fear written in people's eyes. Life as we knew it has come to an abrupt halt. Sports are being cancelled. Public gatherings and events are being postponed in fear of this virus spreading. Schools are potentially about, are about to be shut down and all I see is a fight for survival. All I hear are people's thoughts and concerns. Luckily, like Samuel, we are not called to look through our eyes or hear through our ears. We are called to see as the Lord sees and hear what the Lord has to say. Every time that I've spent time with God over these last couple of weeks, I've had this, um, this unshakable belief or thought, and it, it ties in with what Matt was saying. It's this, that the people that are surrounding us are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. The thought that I keep having is, what if we as believers lived as such strong reflections of Christ that the world around us would begin to experience hope, that they would know joy, that they would see provision, that they would experience healing? What if we were so brave that we took its stand and we didn't bow to fear, the same fear which is driving a large portion of society. What could happen if we as believers began to influence the spaces in society in this time of need? A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon uh, on making evident our restoration through God's power, and I asked you guys a question. The question was, are we living as a slave to fear or a servant of the king. I wanted to mention this again because I think it's so imperative for the moment that we're in. You know, there, there are so many things, there are so many government statements being released and statements being released in the media, and there's so much fact and information that is, is feeding a lot of what's being developed at the moment within society. And I'm not discounting people's fears and I'm not saying that it's not okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But I want to talk to you this morning, we're talking about partnering in God's kingdom. And you see, in God's kingdom, there is no fear. In God's kingdom, there is no fear. In God's kingdom, there is faith, but there is no fear. I think it's so, it's so, 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 so important right now that we as a church take a stand, that not just Catalyst Church, but we as a church, the church, take a stand. Not a stand that, that says that we have all the answers, not a stand that says that like, we're not afraid of this virus, we're not afraid that we're, we're going to catch it, but it's important that we take a stand, that we, we stand for hope, that we be a living reflection of Christ in every circumstance and situation that we find ourselves in. Because when I go to the shops and when I go to Woolworths and people are frantically running up and down the toilet paper aisle and they're frantically running up and down the aisle where all the, the canned goods are stored because there's this mindset that says, I have to look out for myself and myself only and I need to survive and I need this. and I need. There's this, this thing that has overcome our society. And it's fear. And it shows up in a lot of ways. It shows up, as I was just saying, in survival mode. It shows up when people are like frantically looking for that next update to just make sure that they're in an area that's safe. That people are frantically, you know, wanting to protect themselves because they're so afraid of this virus. And yet, in God's kingdom, there is no fear. There's no space for fear. There's no room for fear. You know, I I think that fear is faith, but in the wrong kingdom. Fear is faith, but it's placed in the wrong kingdom. Because people are believing in the fear, so then they act out of fear and they see outcomes and find solutions based out of that fear. They have a need, they need toilet paper. So they're like, shoot, there's a video on Facebook and the toilet paper aisle is empty. Oh my gosh, I have to go to this store and this store and this store to try and find some toilet paper because all I need is to make sure that we have enough toilet paper that if we get locked out and quarantined that we have enough toilet paper. Do you see how problem or a need throw fear into the mix and, and they've come to them, they, they bring themselves to a solution that is not what they need? That is not what they need. People need faith. People need hope. People need assurance right now. I was having a conversation with one of my friends, one of my non-Christian friends during the week, and we were just talking about like the virus and, you know, just like how crazy is it that it's like what's happening and, and just we were talking through like where we've been getting our statistics from and seeing that they don't match up and then hearing what Channel Seven's saying and then hearing what, you know, CNN may be saying over in the States and just how there's so much confusion that's being bred right now. So much confusion. We're having this conversation, and he was saying, man, I just, I don't know, like, you know, maybe I won't be going to work. Maybe, like, you know, they'll be going to be canceling this. Like, what happens if, you know, like, we get the virus? Like, you know, like, and he's, as we're having this conversation, he's unraveling in this spiral because he's presenting concern after concern after concern and problem after problem after problem. problem. And what happens if we run out of food? And what happens if we run out of this? And, like, what what happens? What happens? What happens? And I, and I said to him, I was like, hey, mate, just stop. We ended up having this conversation out of that place of him stopping and realizing that the initial concern is not a bad thing. Concern isn't bad. A little bit of worry actually isn't bad. I personally don't want to see me and my family get sick. That's not a bad thing. I don't want to see any of you guys get sick. I want to make sure that we're all staying in perfect health. That's concern and that's okay. Okay. But my friend, he, he started from a moment of concern and fell down this spiral and unraveled to the point where he was being overcome by fear of things that could possibly happen. And I asked him the question, mate, like, what if that doesn't happen? What if you, you are able to get toilet paper? What if that there's food on the shelf? What if that you or your family never catch this virus? Like, what if, what if, what if? And he said to me, like, oh, like, you've got a point there. Like, my fear is based on speculation. My fear is is based on something that is not factual at this point in time. And I said to him, you're correct. Let me tell you what is factual at this point in time. Let me tell you that I believe in a God who, who died on the cross so that we could be saved and have eternal life with Him. I believe in a God who heals today. I believe in a God that has the power to stop this virus. I think we all believe in the same God, correct? It was just so interesting to see how unreasonable our conversation became in such a short period of time. And I think there's a lot of things going on in society right now that, are, as I was talking about, that may to some degree be unreasonable. I think there's wisdom in canceling sporting events. I think there's wisdom in a lot of things that our government are doing. But I think there's unreasonable actions that are also being taken out of fear and being made out of fear. We're not called to operate out of fear. We're called to operate out of faith. We're in the kingdom of God and we're meant to operate out of faith. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Luke chapter 10. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs needs a fearless church. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 29 through 37, it's the story of the good Samaritan. Jesus is talking to this guy and they're having a conversation and the man asks Jesus the question, how do we inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him this story. Jesus uses this parable to explain to him how he will inherit eternal life. In verse 29 it says, But he, he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now now by chance a certain priest came down that very same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And so he went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and iron Sorry, pouring oil. The pouring oil and wine. He he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, when he departed, he took out the two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, "Take care of him, and whatever you whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay. I will repay you." And so, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And the man replied to Jesus saying, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus replied, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There are a couple of uh, key things that I felt like God was really highlighting to me earlier this week through this passage. The first one was actually verse 30, where Jesus is explaining the state that the man was left in. Now, you're probably wondering, Nathan, why is a verse about being stripped, fell among, fallen among thieves, no clothing, wounded, and taken all his money? What, what, what is highlighted to you in that? Because it doesn't sound that great. To me, it showed a, a picture of how I think a lot of society feels right now in this moment. I think it shows a direct picture to how people feel, to how they're reacting to the things that are happening around them, to the things and and the choices that are being made right now in in terms of dealing with this virus. For me personally, I feel like I've been stripped this last week. There's no crowds at the football. NBA was cancelled. The cricket's been cancelled. The Grand Prix's been cancelled. Major events have been cancelled. Do you notice how we're being stripped as a society right now in this time? For some good reasons, yes. For some reasons, as I said, maybe acting out of fear, maybe made the decision was made out of fear. But right now, society is being stripped of the very things, the very traditions that have been so normal. Like, can you imagine what it's going to be like next Thursday night, when Richmond and Carlton show up at MCG to play the first game of the football season, and there's no crowd there. Praise the Lord. I, I agree, like they're both terrible teams, I wouldn't want to watch it anyways. But, do you know how weird it's going to be to watch a TV, a stadium of football players playing, and there's no crowd in there? I watched the cricket on Friday afternoon, the game between Australia and New Zealand. And there was no crowd in the stadium. There was just the players, no family members, just the players, just the commentators. I tell you what, it was the most eerie hour and a half of cricket that I've ever watched. It's not just eerie because of the fact that there's no crowd, but just the, the, the message and the feeling that you could feel from the players as you're watching them on TV, how different it is. Like we're being stripped right now as a society. And it frustrates me that a virus is stripping us as a society. Because the coronavirus isn't God's plan. The coronavirus isn't God's idea of stripping us and whatever. It's not. But we're being stripped right now. Much like this man who had his clothes stripped of him and he was wounded. And he departed. They departed from him, leaving him half dead. A question that I want to ask you is, who are you going to be in this story? Who are you going to be in this story? Because there are three options. We can be the priest who walks down the road and sees him and, oh, no, don't have time for that and keeps walking. We can be the Levite who, the man who came and looked and saw and chose to still go on and leave? Or are we going to be the good Samaritan who chooses to drop our agenda, who chooses to give and sacrifice of the things that we have for the benefit of someone who's in need? And while we may not be encountering people that are in the state that this man was, I believe that society is getting close to being in the state that this man was. And if we're a people who have hope and we're a people who have faith and we're a people who believe in a God of miracles, a God who raised people from the dead, who are we going to be to the world around us? Who are you going to be to the world around you? Who am I going to be to the world around us? I'm not saying that we... By saying this, I'm not communicating that we have to go out of our way and drop every single thing in our lives and serve every single person around us. Because that's, that's not what this is about. It's not about doing more, but it's about prioritizing what God prioritizes better. It's about loving those who are in front of us better. It's about caring for those in need who are in front of us better. It's hard. Like, for me, it's real hard. Like, I got really convicted last night. We were hanging out um, and we decided to go to Kmart um, because who doesn't want to go to Kmart on a Saturday night? It's just the best thing ever. Um, But, yeah, Daz doesn't want to. Um, We were going to Kmart because we had to pick up some stuff. And we we walked in the door and it's me, my sister, Rachel, and Lisa, and we're all walking to Kmart. We're just going there to get pillows for our house super high <laughs> necessary item at this time. We're going to get pillows and so we're walking in and walking out of Kmart is a man and this man has a bandage on his arm and he has a splint on his finger and I see it and instantly I'm like, oh God could heal that guy, like he could walk out of this place without his finger being in a bandage. That was my instant thought and, and we're standing like from me to Jim away and we're walking... Like towards each other, and I see it, and I'm like, oh, like God could heal that. Great thought. Someone's in front of me, like awesome. I've seen, like, I'm like, I know a finger can get healed. God can do that. What do you think I did? Yeah, I kept right walking, and he kept coming closer and closer, and I'm walking, and I and I'm looking at him, thinking like, oh, like should I stop and pray for him? Oh, like I I know this can be healed. Like, oh, like, should I do it? And I didn't do it. And I didn't do it because I was afraid. I didn't do it because, like, I didn't believe that God couldn't heal it. I had the faith. There was no fear involved in my decision to not do it. I just didn't do it because it was inconvenient. Because I didn't want to stop and take the time. And instantly, in that moment, as soon as he walked past, like, as soon as he walked past, internally, I was like, Nathan, like, what on earth are you doing right now, buddy? Instantly. In, in that moment, I just felt it. Straight away. And I'm like, oh. Like, God, I was, I was like the priest. I was like the Levite who came and saw, observed, and then decided that he had better things to do. And saw sure, this man and I tried to justify myself in this moment saying like, well, you know what? Like, it's just, he, he's just got a finger brace on. Like, you know, it's, it's not even his pointer finger. If he's left-handed, he can still write. I'm justifying the reasons why I didn't pray for healing for this man to see him restored. He missed out on an opportunity to encounter God. Whether he got healed or not, I would have told him about Jesus. I would have prayed for him if he had let me. Like, but he missed out on knowing who God was. It's not hard. But at the same time, it costs us something. Because in that moment, I had already called up Domino's and we had a pizza order waiting, and we had to go to Kmart and we had to get pillows before going to Domino's and getting pizza. And I decided that it was more important in that moment for me to get my pizza on time, for us to get our pillows, for it to not be an inconvenience for the girls to wait for me while I just stopped and took two minutes of this man's time and told him about Jesus. I felt like an idiot. Like I'm going to say that I, I literally felt so dumb because I'd, I've spent so much money and time over the last four years saying I'm a sold out Christian. I love Jesus so much that nothing's going to stop me from seeing people in the world encounter him. And then in a split moment over six pizzas, not all for me, six six pizzas for our family, and a pair of pillows and inconvenience, I settled for less. I settled for less. Guys, we can't, we like, we have to be the Samaritan in this story. I made a mistake saying, I want to ask you a question. Because the reality is we have to be the Samaritan in this story. I know that sounds hard to hear. I know it's a command. But like the reality of it is, if you believe in Jesus, then you are the Samaritan in this story, whether you act like it or not. I love what you said, Paul, when you were sharing that. It's, it's, we, we can't step out of God's hand, but we, we can if we choose to step out of God's hand. Like, we are the Samaritan but we can choose to not be the Samaritan. And the reality is there is a world around us that is being overcome by fear, that is being overcome by a sickness, a a silly little virus. It's basically the flu. And, And we are called to be the Samaritan. We have to be the Samaritan. We have to be the Samaritan. We owe it to the world to be the Samaritan. We're commanded. Jesus commands the man that he's telling this parable to. He literally says to him in verse 37, go and do likewise. He doesn't say go and have a think about who you want to be in this story and then figure it out. And five years later, after you've done a discipleship course and you've done a training session and you've been a qualified youth leader, go and do likewise. He says, mate, go and do likewise. The second thing that I find really significant is in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. I think that's a major key for us right now, to be moved with compassion. Because as I said just before, when I'm saying that we have to be the Samaritan, it doesn't mean that we have to do it for everyone. It doesn't mean that you have to run yourself into the ground to do it for everyone. But it's about following the leading of the Lord, following who God puts in front of you. Like I said when I was reading out at the start, we are called to be like Samuel, to not just see with our eyes, to not see the need with our own eyes, to not hear the need with our own eyes, we are called to see what God sees and we're called to hear what God hears. So therefore, we are to be moved with compassion when God is moved with compassion. There are multiple, like there are so many examples in Scripture where Jesus would see someone in need and He would, he would say, it would, it would be written that He was moved with compassion, And because he was moved with compassion, he would go and minister to that person. He was moved with compassion. We have to be moved with compassion. We can't just meet a need because a need's there. You may as well just go to wars and get toilet paper. I'm not saying that's bad. At all, hear my heart. I'm not saying it's bad to meet needs that people f- like physically have. But I'm saying in this time, in this season, where we're at, even not even now for this time, but moving forward for eternity, we will be called to move with compassion. We have to be. We have to be. Because being moved with compassion, being, it, it means that you're moved by the heart of God for someone. It means that you're being moved by the very thing that God is moved by and you're actually leading and being, sorry, you're being led by His Spirit in that moment. Being led by His Spirit. Not to minister out of convenience, not to minister out of a heart to receive accolade, but to be moved by compassion for the lost, compassion for the hurting, compassion for the broken, Compassion for the person who who just needs a touch of God. To be moved by compassion is what we're called to be moved by. I was thinking about sandpaper this morning. At 5.30am, literally woke up at 530 30 when my alarm went off. And like the first thought in my mind was Sandpaper. You're probably thinking why? That's kind of a weird thought, Nathan. I haven't touched sandpaper in like a good I don't know how long, 6 months. Like it's been a while since I've used sandpaper. I was thinking about sandpaper. What I was thinking about was how when you're wanting to sand something you start with a really coarse sandpaper. You start with something that has like a really high grade. It's super rough it's going to like strip it real good. And then once you've gone over it with that, then you move to like a medium grade of sandpaper and it's a little bit finer and it brings it a little bit more smooth and then you move to another level down and then you you go again and you go. it's this process until you get to the point where you can sand something that used to be completely rough and now it's completely smooth. Completely rough to completely smooth, but it takes time. It takes multiple attempts using multiple different things. You see, I think the Samaritan understood what it was like to use sandpaper. You're probably wondering how. Because of the way that he treats this man and because of his actions. You see, he sees the need, he's moved with compassion, So he goes to the man and he bandages his wounds. He cleans out his wounds. He then pours oil and wine over him. That's another step. He then takes the man and places him on his own animal. That's another step. And he chooses to bring him to an inn. He then takes care of this man, still being with him, he takes care of this man. And then the next day he wakes up and he pays for this man to stay at the inn until he is well. He tells the innkeeper, hey, take care of this guy for me. Like, whatever it costs, I'll come back and pay more. Do you see how many steps this man has done? Sometimes we get so fixated on outcomes and solutions that we ignore that Christ is asking us to be in it for the long haul, in it for the journey, in it for the process. It may be a three-step process, it may be a four-step process, it might be a one-step process, but we've got to be in it for the process. The Samaritan was in it for the process. I want to leave you thinking about this, because as I said, the reality is coronavirus is going to come and go. This virus will come, it is coming, but it will leave. Whether it's next week, whether it's next month, whether it's six months, who knows? I don't. But it will come and it will go. The world will reach the outcome that the world is desiring, which is for coronavirus to not happen. But we are called to be moved with compassion forever. Not just for the period of coronavirus. I would would still preach this message without talking about coronavirus if coronavirus wasn't happening right now. It's a great example. It's a great little story to... pat. Like, it's relevant, right? It's relevant for us right now. But the reality is, like the Samaritan, sometimes we're going to invest in things and it's going to take a heck of a long time. Sometimes we're going to invest in things, and it's God's going to show up, and it's going to happen, and it's going to be miraculous. We're called to be in both. We're called to be in it all. When I was over in Reading studying, it was my first year. My city service was called Adopt-A-Block. Great city service. So, wait, let me explain city service for you, because some of you won't know. What that means is in school, they divide us up into a whole lot of groups and we go out every Thursday afternoon and we have three hours of our school time dedicated to serving the city. This might be running kids' programs. It might be cleaning and doing like yard work within the city of Reading. It might be doing Adopt-A-Block, which I'm about to explain. It like, There were so many... There's, a thousand, there's over 3,000 students in school. There were so many different programs you could do. I chose Adopt-A-Block. What Adopt-A-Block was is we got given a certain piece of land we actually got given an apartment complex and there was a team of us and there was six of us and we were given this apartment complex and every Thursday afternoon, we would go and knock on people's doors and just talk to people. From 3 to 5 p.m. every Thursday, Avo, I was at that apartment complex. It was called Sequoia Apartment Complex and I was knocking on doors, trying to build a relationship talk to people see if they had anything we need we would put on block parties what we would call and we'd get we'd invite everyone and we'd like put on like a barbecue and all kinds of stuff super duper awesome there was this one lady there was this one lady she was a sweet little old lady she was a real slow burn like real slow burn if i could use sandpaper as an analogy like she needed some real like coarse sandpaper like real coarse sandpaper. I remember the first time, knocked on her door, was like, hi, I'm Nathan. Uh, Like, I'm here and this is my teammate and like, we're here and we're just like wanting to connect with you. She's like, well, I don't want to connect. Like, I don't want to talk to people. Like, it's Thursday afternoon. Like, leave me alone kind of thing. You know, like real standoffish. And so, I'm like, okay, no problem. like, if you need anything, just want to let you know, we're here every Thursday afternoon. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to like build a relationship. Let us know if you need anything practically as well. Like let us know. And so like we start this slow burn guys every Thursday afternoon, same thing. Oh, it's you again. Like, like legit, like every Thursday afternoon. Nope, don't want to talk. No, 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 nope, So funny. Sometimes she would leave her wire door shut but her wooden door open, and we would knock, and she'd be like, I knew you were coming, but I don't want to talk, so you can go away. <laughs> like, this lady was obstinate to us talking to her. And so, but every, every week we would secretly just pray for her house. You know, we'd, when we'd knock on the door, we'd just be praying, like, God, we'd pray for peace over her, like all that kind of stuff, just blessing her. Um, but slowly over time, she began to open up and she began to, to talk. And, and it started by her just beginning to complain about everything that was going on in her life. And we would just stand there and listen to her complain for 35 minutes. Through her wire door, we're just standing there saying like, oh, that, that sounds really hard, like, you know, having this conversation. <laughs> it was, guys, I can't express how hard it was to be moved by compassion for this lady like if you want to talk about your faith being tested try like going to the same house I can remember the apartment number it was apartment 42 like every Thursday knocking on this door and like asking God like God give me your heart for this lady God let me see her how you see her God let me hear what you have to say about her so that I may get the chance to possibly tell her while she's telling me to get lost, while she's yelling out from her kitchen because she doesn't even want to pay us the respect of coming to the door to tell us to get lost. It's sometimes it's super hard to be moved by compassion. Sometimes it costs you a lot to be moved by compassion. Sometimes it's going to take the bandages, the oil, the wine, the things that you have to be moved by compassion. Sometimes it's going to be you going out of your way to, like, removing yourself from your agenda and and just starting something completely new to be moved by compassion. Sometimes it's going to be a 10-step process with a a whole lot of knocking on a door to a lady who doesn't want to talk to you to be moved by compassion. There's no script. I so wish there was, but there is no script because they're real human beings, we kept knocking on this lady's door, kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking. It came towards like the end of the year, it's like, yeah, the end of the year, we've been doing it for like six months straight now, of knocking every Thursday afternoon and we're beginning to build conversations, she doesn't really want to hear about God, we like talk about God with her in our replies to her talking but she's very standoffish, Until one day, until one day, this lady came out and she was visibly upset, visibly upset. And so we began to have this conversation with her and she was telling us about the struggles that she was being having this week and and like all that kind of stuff. And it's so funny because it's so easy to be moved by compassion when people are hungry to receive compassion. It's so easy, guys. It's like, give, like, it's like, I don't know, buttering a piece of toast. It just goes on so smooth and melts so nicely. It's so easy to be moved and to bring compassion into a moment when a person wants to receive it. It's hard to do it when it, a person doesn't want to receive it. It's like spreading cold butter on a piece of toast that just doesn't want to spread. But this lady, this one day, she was there. And she just bleh, vomited her life into our hands. I was like, she said, she, she literally said this. This is one of my favorite questions to hear or when people are swearing. They're like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm so over it. I don't know what to do. That's one of my favorite questions to hear because I'm like, that's a door that's just opened. And let me tell you. And so we, we began to one of my the person who was with me shared a story which really related to what this lady had was going through and this lady just begins to break down and cry and this lady is like like crying as we begin to like speak the heart of God over her we began to speak what God says about her and we began to tell her how God sees her and how we've seen her and we begin to remind her of 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 who she is as a daughter of God we preach the gospel, we tell her about Jesus, she gets saved. Six months, guys, six months of faithfully showing up and knocking on the door. Six months of being moved by compassion. Not always real well, I'll tell you that. There are some days where I knocked and I was praying she wasn't home because I just didn't want to hear it. We have to be moved by compassion. In all circumstances, every time we speak, every time we minister, every time we reach out to someone, we have to be moved by compassion. We have to be moved by the heart of God for people. Right now, tomorrow, the next day, the day after, we have to be moved by compassion because that's how we partner in God's kingdom. That's how we bring God's kingdom to this world.